May the force be with you. This is going to be a physical SEC football game, and, and that's what it was. But just so happy for our fans and so happy. So, so happy for our players. Um, On the muff punt, obviously a really close call that was overturned. I mean, what what was what was said to you? On, yeah, on I, I don't know. I mean, it's that he touched it. We did not come here to lose by seven. We came here to win the game, and I think you could see that by the way that we played. We just ran into a team that was seven points better than us tonight, and. It'd be hard to look at the Arkansas Razorbacks and not be proud of the effort and the resiliency that we showed tonight and the physicality. Uh, he's, I think he's gotten better and better. He's, I mean, here's a bug. He's in. Welcome in to the latest episode of that SEC podcast. I'm your host, Michael Braddon. I go by SEC Mike on Twitter. And if you're watching on YouTube, we're in 4K now. Taking a step up here in the camera department after the regular season comes to the end. A perfect time to buy the camera. We actually need to film this damn thing. But, uh, hey, leave it to this show to get the camera gear after the season. That's, uh, that sounds, that's par for the course for this one. But, man, and I'm actually recording this late. 9 o'clock in the evening here in Nashville, Tennessee. It's not that I've been putting this off. It's just that news keeps hitting left and right. Didn't want to lose anything. Any information. Got tons of news all around the SEC. Barely know where to start, but I got to go with the big news here. Just broke about an hour ago here. Notre Dame's Brian Kelly. Come on down to the SEC. LSU is hiring Notre Dame's Brian Kelly. And after all the Lincoln-Riley speculation, leave it to Scott Woodward, man. Fans were calling him out thinking he couldn't get this thing done. Turns around, gets him a big fish to come on down to Baton Rouge. And before anyone freaks out, you know, maybe they're not too thrilled with Notre Dame. They always get blown out in the playoff. Well, he just never has the talent, and that's the issue. Coming to LSU, he's going to get that talent. LSU's currently got a five-star quarterback, Walker Howard, I believe is his name, committed. The only other school he was considering, to my understanding, and this was only after they fired Ed Ogeron, was Notre Dame. So, you know, that's going to – you secured your future at the quarterback position with this hire, but it's a lot more than that. I mean, this is a guy that uh, has twice led Notre Dame to the college football playoff. He's led him to a BCS National Ch- Championship appearance. I understand he gets his ass kicked every time going up against uh, the likes of Alabama and LSU and Georgia and all these teams. But again, just doesn't have that talent. He's the greatest coach Notre Dame has had in 25 years. And, uh, <laughs> you know, we're going to poke a little fun at him, of course, because I believe this was last week he was asked, could you ever foresee yourself leaving Notre Dame? Let's kick it over to this little clip we got of, uh, once again, the new LSU coach, Brian Kelly. Other than retiring from your current profession, could you see yourself leaving Notre Dame of your own volition? No, no. I mean, look, I think Mike Tomlin had the best line, right? You know, um, unless uh, unless that, uh, that fairy godmother comes by with that, you know, 
$250 million check, I'd, my wife would want to take a look at it first. I'd have to run it by her. <laughs> well, not that we ever needed any more evidence that these coaches are uh, kind of full of it, these press conference uh, situations. But, hey, maybe he's being honest there with that uh, $200 million figure because according to reports, you know, there's no official contract out, but multiple reports. This is going to be a 10-year deal worth over $100 million for Brian Kelly to jump from Notre Dame to LSU. Dennis Dodd of CBS is reporting $15 million a year for Brian Kelly to make that jump. So we could be looking at a 10-year, $150 million contract. All of a sudden, the, what was it, the $75 million man here in College Station, we just doubled his contract. What a time to be alive. And look at the uh, roster now we have in the SEC West. Nick Saban, of course, Sam Pittman, Brian Harson, Lane Kiffin, Mike Leach, Brian Kelly, Jimbo Fisher. Oh, boy. I mean, that's, that's a murderer's row there in the West. The East, of course, added Billy Napier. And, man, do we have some killers here in the SEC. Credit Brian Kelly from... Uh, doing the opposite of Lincoln Riley, not running from the challenge of the SEC, but coming. Of course, he's getting a sack full of money to do it. But a credit to uh, Brian Kelly for making that move. Now, I think the big question now is uh, when it comes to the coaching down there at LSU, the staff, of course, will he bring Marcus Freeman? It seems like their support, maybe Marcus Freeman become the new Notre Dame coach. Uh, There's speculation Luke Fickle, the Cincinnati coach, would jump for Notre Dame. Maybe Marcus Freeman jumps back to Cincinnati, becomes their head coach. So long way to go here when it comes to building his first LSU staff for Brian Kelly. But according to Gary Hamilton of ESPN, he was the first one to report this, defensive backs coach Corey Raymond, running backs coach Kevin Falk will be staying on with Brian Kelly. That's uh, At least that's what the recruits are being told on the trail. So, hey, you got to like that. And uh, I would imagine GM... Austin Thomas, who's working behind the scenes to to keep this recruiting class that LSU's got rolling, keep that together. I would anticipate he returns under Brian Kelly as well. So you're probably going to keep your GM. And that's probably the biggest question I got with Brian Kelly. Now, he's had top 10 classes, I think even top five classes, which is outstanding at Notre Dame. He's not consistently done it. But, of course, they've got the academic restrictions there. Uh, in South Bend that uh, those coaches have to deal with. So he's had to, you know, they're not just not going to have that at LSU. So uh, LSU, Louisiana is a state where the vast majority of those kids, they grow up wanting to be Tigers. Hell, I I think I've heard half the high schools in uh, the state are named the Tigers. I mean, it's no coincidence. So this is a, a state that prides itself on being LSU through and through Brian Kelly's got to take advantage of that, got to close those borders as much as he can, stop uh, Nick Saban and Jimbo Fisher and the Mississippi schools from coming in there and rifling through their top talent. So, man, epic, epic news. Just when LSU, it was looking like you may have missed out on Lincoln Riley. I mean, he's still a hell of a coach for sure, but Brian Kelly's done it a lot longer, a lot better track record there, at a, I think, at a school that's probably tougher I know they don't play too many tees, but hell, he's uh, consistently got them winning double-digit games, and and he did it at previous stops as well. So, man, what a splash hire here on late Monday. 
Brian Kelly coming to the SEC. And if we ever needed any more evidence that, uh, you know, this is becoming a 16-team super conference, I mean, what more do you need? I mean, <laughs> how many times we see a Power 5 coach? You know, hell, Brian Kelly's got an opportunity. His, believe it or not, when they got the playoff rankings coming out tomorrow, the updated ones. Notre Dame's probably going to be 4 or 5. I mean, he is leaving uh, a playoff caliber type team to come to the SEC to become the new LSU head coach. That says it all right there of what he thinks of uh, his chances to win it all at Notre Dame as opposed to LSU. So, man, fascinating stuff here. Can't wait to see where this goes next. But, hey, we got to move on with the show, and we've got some uh, more hot coaching rumors here because with Lincoln Riley jumping to Southern Cal, now Oklahoma's got an open spot. They got Bob Stoops down there, interim coach, of course, for the bowl game. Don't anticipate he's going to be the man. But, hey, the, the first name that uh, I said on the last episode when Shane asked, you know, where will Oklahoma turn, it sounds like Brent Venables, the Clemson defensive coordinator, gaining a lot of steam. There was uh, speculation that Oklahoma may even name him head coach Monday, but that didn't happen. But still, things seem to be trending that way. Brent Venables, if he's going to finally jump to be a head coach, you know, interesting stat here that I heard by uh, Barry Trammell, who covers the team there. Oklahoma, I, I think in the last 40, 50 years, have only hired one active sitting head coach. They always go the assistant route. Lincoln Riley, Bob Stoops. I don't know why they do it that way, but it looks like they're going to do it again with Brent Venables. Now, that's good news for Gamecock fans because all of a sudden here on Monday, it was not only Barry Trammell, but... Uh, Barry Trammell kind of leading the charge here on the Dan Patrick Show. Let's kick it over to this quick clip from the Dan Patrick Show. Barry Trammell asked, you know, who are the, the options here? And he says, hell, if Shane Beamer never left for South Carolina, he'd already be your new head coach of the Oklahoma Sooners, and he is high on the list. So the wish list at Oklahoma starts with who? Well, I mean, I think uh, Oklahoma is sort of a unique place. They've at one time in their history, literally, have they hired a sitting head coach. That was Howard Schnellenberger in 1995. It was a disaster. He lasted one year. They've always hired an up-and-coming assistant coach. They believe in their program more than personality. Uh, Barry Switzer, Bob Stoops, uh, Chuck Fairbanks, Bud Wilkinson. I mean, all the big names had never been head coaches before they got to Oklahoma. So uh, that's not necessarily what they'll do now. The transfer per portal changes everything. Uh, in the past, when you change coaches, you had to worry about your future rosters and recruiting. Now you got to worry about your current roster, keeping people together. Uh, you need sort of a steady hand. That could mean uh, that could mean uh, immediate uh, wisdom is needed. Guys who can keep the ship going. Um, in terms of names being thrown around. Shane Beamer at South Carolina, he was on Lincoln staff until a year ago. Mm. He's, he's a guy to look for because uh, very impressive. Uh, the Beamer family is as classy uh, and as well-respected as any in America, and that's not just Frank. Shane is the same way. Oh, you loved him. If he was still on Lincoln staff, I think he'd already have been named head coach. So he's one to keep an eye on. 
the Sooners will talk to Brent Venables also, 13-year assistant at Bob for Bob Stoops. Went to Clemson 10 years ago and has helped Dabo Swinney build an empire. Uh, he's only 50, been coaching uh, you know, 25 years in college football, but he's only 50 years old. He will be a, a viable candidate. And I think- so South Carolina fans, you're going to have to hold your breath here. You don't lose your head coach to Oklahoma. I don't think you will. I reached uh, out to someone very close uh, to that program, knows it better than just about anybody, asked him what he thought of this speculation, and he said he didn't think Shane Beamer would leave for Oklahoma, but he noted, and this was just his opinion, but he said, you know, if they offer it, I would take it if I'm Shane Beamer. So, oh boy, I mean, things could be uh, wheeling and dealing here in the SEC quickly. And, you know, all of a sudden, a week or two ago, a lot of people got Shane Beamer, SEC Coach of the Year, maybe one and done. Let's certainly hope not. But, again, I, I expect that to be Brent Venables. But where do they turn if Venables decides to stay at Clemson? And the fact that uh, this didn't get done on Monday, not saying that uh, maybe that's the reason or anything, but just something to monitor here. So Oklahoma still searching for a head coach. Shane Beamer seems to be high on that list. We'll have to – Wait and see what happens there. And speaking of, uh, hey, I could tie this together here. Let's jump all down to the planes real quick because we got some coach shakeup here. Brian Harson has made a decision, fired offensive coordinator Mike Bobo, South Carolina fans. <laughs> Poured out a cold one for old Bobo on, uh, on Monday evening here because uh, Bobo is gone from Auburn after just one season up and down. You know, Bo Nix looked good at times, other times struggled. Questionable play calling here in the last couple of weeks for Mike Bobo. What in the hell were we doing against Mississippi State? What were we doing against Alabama? What were we doing in the loss to Texas A&M? I mean, a lot of questions here. Mike Bobo, South Carolina, of course, that was the big one where <laughs> and Gabe Cox had fun that night, let me tell you what, but now Brian Harson searching for a new offensive coordinator. Uh, if anybody missed it, Bo Nix, you know, he's been noncommittal about what he's going to do next season. Could he go to the NFL? Could he hit the transfer portal? He has not yet decided. And, you know, four offensive coordinators in four years, that's got to be tough for Bo Nix. But if they hire someone that, uh, you know, maybe Bo Nix has a relationship or, or you know, a, a coordinator that uh, Bo Nix has confidence can get the job done, maybe he comes back. But I don't know. It's going to be tough. Rebuilt uh, offensive line, receiving core. Still a lot of answers there. I don't know. But this is a sign that I think that Brian Harson, you know, take being proactive, making decisions that got to, tough decisions that got to be made. This was a, a hire that I, you know, I thought this was a hell of a hire. I thought uh, for as much grief as South Carolina fans give Mike Bobo, hell, look at your offense this year. It was a, it was a disaster compared to what uh, Mike Bobo and what he had to work with, with Colin Hill and the injuries they had at uh, quarterback. No need to really rehash what happened in 2020 at South Carolina, but the offense wasn't a problem. And for a lot of the season there at Auburn, uh, you know, the offense wasn't necessarily the problem. Go back and watch that Ole Miss game. I mean, they that was a hell of a game plan there by Mike Bobo. Just didn't have enough of those. And, you know, I think this is Brian Harson letting everybody know that uh, there's going to be a standard here on the Plains, and we didn't live up to it. Hell no, he's, he was asked if uh, he's satisfied with his, what are they, 6-6 six and six record, and this is a sign of it. And this is, again, 
uh, a veteran head coach making a tough decision, making it quickly here. A lot of South Carolina fans, wrap it back to that, waiting to see what's going to happen with Marcus Satterfield. They're still sending him out on the recruiting trail. Maybe that's part of it, you know, trying to get these recruits to buy in and you're going to make a change after the signing period. But that never sits too well, and, and that's how you lose some trust. So if you're going to make a change at coordinator, make it quick, just pull the Band-Aid off, find you another option. That is the best option here, and I think this is a wise move here by uh, Brian Harson. If he really didn't have confidence in Mike Bobo, a change had to be made. And one other uh, coaching. Now, this is just a rumor, speculation, nothing official as of this point, but apparently Alabama offensive coordinator Bill O'Brien gaining a ton of traction there for the Virginia Tech job that's still open. That's one they wanted Billy Napier. Uh, Obviously, Florida will have a lot better job in Virginia Tech, so still searching for their answer. Bill O'Brien preparing for the SEC championship, preparing for potential playoff run down there in Tuscaloosa. But, uh, you know, I think there's been a lot of speculation that Bill O'Brien looking to get back into being a head coach, and he may have that opportunity sooner rather than later at Virginia Tech, which, uh, you know, that's a solid job for a guy like him. But, uh, you know, that'll be one to see. I don't, I don't know too many Alabama fans after watching that Iron Bowl that are going to be disappointed that old Bill O'Brien uh, may be one and done down there in Tuscaloosa. But, hey, so much uh, coaching news here. <laughs> We got to remember, we got an SEC championship game this weekend. And, uh, you know, do a little preview here. Kirby, Nick Saban, both met with the media here on Monday to discuss the game. Here's a couple of interesting stats I saw from uh, Chuck Dunlap of the SEC. The winner of the SEC championship game has advanced to the national championship 14 of the last 15 seasons. And without a doubt, I mean, this Saturday to me, I don't know about you, but this game here feels like the national championship, particularly for Alabama, because if they lose, don't see any path for them to get into the college football playoff. Their backs are against the wall. They've been through several tough games here in a row. Georgia's coming in. It's tough to say rested, but hell, they basically played back-to-back cupcakes and just cruised in both those games, got a lot of backups, time to play on the field. Will that be a factor? I mean, just so many advantages for Georgia in this matchup. George Pickens is coming back. We've getting, we're getting healthier for the Georgia Bulldogs, whereas Alabama, Brian Robinson's banged up. The offensive line's a little banged up. I don't know. I mean, this is not coming in well. This is not looking great for Alabama. But here's another interesting stat. This one from Peter Burns of the SEC Network. There have been 29 SEC championship games. The underdog has won only four of them. And, of course, Georgia's the the favorite here by six points, got to remember. But two of the four underdogs that have won the SEC championship were coached by Nick Saban. So, hey, that's his subtle way saying don't write off the GOAT just yet because, uh, hey, they may be counted out. But, uh, you know, if you go – I don't want to say Alabama's got the two best players in this matchup. I think that'd be unfair, but they got two of the better ones with Bryce Young, Will Anderson. Maybe those are the two best players, but Georgia, clear, far and away, the best team all around in this matchup. More balance, uh, more dangerous defense, obviously. Special teams, you know, maybe a wash there, but a lot of factors to like about Georgia. 
but one that uh, you know kind of stands out to me motivation and the fact that uh, Georgia's you know outside of Clemson outside of maybe the first half of Florida had not really been tested this season whereas you know I'm sitting here saying it's a an advantage for them to cruise into this thing and in Alabama on the flip side you know they got a fight tooth and claw to get past LSU, Arkansas, and Auburn. You know, there's got to be a belief there in Tuscaloosa that uh, no matter the adversity, that we can get through it. We've been doing it week in, week out. We can do it here in the SEC Championship. It's going to be contested football game. It's hard to imagine either one of these teams blowing each other out. I mean, it's going to come down to the fourth quarter. It's going to come down to adverse reacts. Which team can handle the adversity? How much is Alabama in Georgia's head? That's something you got to consider. And both the coaches were asked about Georgia, Kirby Smart, Georgia not really facing a ton of adversity this season. And Nick Saban on the fact that uh, his team seems like each week is getting hit with uh, some adversity, whether it's the defense, whether it's the offensive line, uh, things keep going wrong, injuries, mounting. So uh, let's kick it over to the two coaches. I don't think uh, your team is thrilled in, in the second half. You spoke yesterday about um, uh, creating adversity in, in practice situations. Can you expound on how you, and then obviously it's a good thing you got thrilled in late in games, but can you talk about how you rely on what you do in practice to create situations you might have to rely on now at this time of the season? Yeah, the situation doesn't change when you trail, right? I mean, like if, you, if, you, if you're worried about that, then you're worried about the wrong thing. I mean, you, you need to be focused on what you have to do to execute. You know, you have a plan of how we're going to run the ball, how we're going to throw the ball, how we're going to stop them, what's our plan of attack on special teams. And does that plan deteriorate and evaporate if you don't have a lead? Not necessarily. You may have to tweak some things. You may have to move some things around. Um, but you got to figure out what you're doing well or what they're doing different. That's the, the chess piece of the decision-making process, but that's not in, in and all everything where it's you have to worry about that. The big thing is what do we have to do to get our players to execute at the highest level in an extreme environment and, uh, and some of them having some anxiety. You want to try to remove that and allow them to play with confidence. That's that's our emphasis. Yeah, Nick, you've had three uh, SEC games in a row that were really close games. What does that say about how battle-tested your team is and how important is that going into a game like this? Um. You know, I, I can't answer the second part of that question. Um, I think the key to the drill is, is you know, you got to try to win every play when you play in games like this. And uh, you got to keep battling for, you know, 60 minutes in the game. Uh, you hear the old adage, play one play at a time. But I think that's probably more important, you know, in games like this than, um, you know, any games that you play. Um, so, uh, you know, we've had to do that. Um, several times. Does that help us? I, I really don't know the answer to that. Um, you know, hopefully our players can stay focused and, you know, play one play at a time and play the next play, uh, whether we had a good play or a bad play, so that uh, we can try to play with the utmost consistency possible in the game and not get frustrated, keep our poise and, you know, sort of show the same kind of resiliency that we've had to show, you know, this latter part of the season and of course they downplay everything here any storyline heading into this matchup they're going to downplay it they're they're cut from the same cloth with uh, Kirby being under Nick Saban for so many years this has got to be his best chance 
to get over that hump, you got to believe, beat Alabama in the SEC championship game. But I'll tell you what, Kirby seems just so confident. I mean, hell, he's joking in the press conference. Let's this real quick clip here of Kirby. Something uh, sounds like a camera fell over or something, and uh, man, he's cutting up. How often do you see Kirby Smart cutting it up with the media? And even during SEC Championship Week with uh, the biggest game of the year going up against your mentor, going up against a team you just can't get over, this does not look like a man that's too worried about Saturday's game. The setback, it was a little tougher for him, too. Uh, we'll find out where he's at. It's really... Now, maybe I read too much into it, but I don't know. He seems at ease. He seems calm there. I think he's just uber confident in his team and in the game plan. I don't think it's a stretch to say that uh, the coaches, you know, these these SEC coaching staffs, particularly Georgia, Alabama, LSU, you know, uh, A&M, all the big ones here, they have got such a large coaching staff that, you know, they got 20, 30, 40 guys in there. I'd say the majority of them have been working at Alabama the last couple of weeks in Athens. I don't think they've had that uh, luxury in Tuscaloosa. So I think they're feeling great, particularly when they look across and see Alabama's offensive line struggle against LSU, struggle against Auburn, and all the monsters they got down there in Athens. Uh, that is something that uh, Kirby Smart was asked about of uh, facing Alabama's offensive line and on facing Nick Saban, Bryce Young, and interestingly, on the motivation for this game. How much, what's the motivation for you when your players are likely got to be hearing the talk that they don't even need to win this game? They could lose this game, still get in the college football playoff. Hell, they could lose it. If it's a close one, they're probably still the number one team in the playoff rankings on the other side. So how do you get your team up for this challenge? That's something that uh, Kirby also talked about here on Monday. Kirby, I know you hit the whole Ubers, uh, Ubers Nick narrative in the, in the media and fans, but I'm just wondering, the three times you've coached against him, have you found anything unique, uh, different about coaching against Nick Saban in a game? you got really good players. I mean, isn't that what, it about, what it's about? I always defer to the players in terms of games. I mean, people have just talked about our defense a lot this year, but it's really about the players. It's not about Coach Lanning or, or myself. Or It's about the players. And uh, I've got an immense amount of respect for uh, Nick and the job he's done and, and what he's done in Alabama the time I was there and, and since I've left. But he'll be the first to admit it's, it's the phone calls Monday through Thursday and the official visits uh, Saturday and Sunday that, that, that get the job done in terms of the players. But it does take um, a complete organization and great leadership, and he's provided that. Kirby, what concerns you most about Mechie and Jamison Williams? I mean, the quarterback, the ability to get them the ball. I mean, they're, they're, they're really elite wideouts, but what puts them over the top is the distributor. You know, he is an incredible athlete, player, decision maker. Uh, what he doesn't get enough credit for is when the play breaks down, his skill set to deliver the ball, make people miss, and he sets up rushers. He's like a point guard. He's like an elite point guard that can distribute the ball, 
And when he's dribbling down the court, he's got the ability to throw it over there, throw it over there, and then he can make you miss. And uh, he, he almost baits rushers. You know, he sits back there and he's very patient, keeps his eyes downfield, great composure. But he makes those guys even better because where there might be another guy like that somewhere, they might not have the distributor to get them the ball. And you know, he does a tremendous job. And, and I think that uh, O'Brien and them do a great job of putting them in, in, in positions that they're hard to cover. You know, they mix up where they put them. They don't, they're not here and there, and that's where they are. They move those guys around. Kirby, I guess this trip to the SEC championship game is different for you all in that uh, there's a perception that playoff-wise you guys could get in even if you lose. How does that change anything with, you know, with, with your guys, you think? I don't see if that has anything to do with anything. I mean, I've said all my career that, you know, to win SEC championships is almost just as hard because the years that I spent in Alabama, you could say that winning the SEC championship was just as hard as trying to win a, a national championship. And, and it's one of our goals. You know, we want to put it on this wall in here. And to do that, you got to win the SEC. And uh, that's what we're focused on. Not get up for this game. And for the main reason is, you know, we just can't get over this Alabama hump. Here's your opportunity. They're limping into this thing. We're fresh. And, you know, in a season of so many hype and anticipation, they've lived up to every ounce of it there in Athens. This is their opportunity to cut the head off the snake and finally, finally beat Alabama square. They've got so much advantage. If they lose to Alabama, Man, I think the mentality going into the college football playoff, I think that will shake their confidence a little bit. So you got to believe that they're not going to let up at all this week. Eliminate Alabama on the way to the playoff. I would have – this is why I think it's the championship. Kind of like Kirby says here. Hell, it's, he didn't outright say it. I think he stopped himself before he could say it. But winning the SEC is more difficult than winning the national championship. More coaches than not will tell you that. And I think that's going to hold true this year because uh, if Georgia wins this game, they're going to cruise in the college football playoff and snap the national championship drought. Now on the flip side, I mean, how wise is it to count out Nick Saban, the greatest college coach of all time, Bryce Young, may win the Heisman Trophy this season. That is going to be possibly on the line here on Saturday. If he lays an egg, he ain't winning it. But if he has a big game, even in a loss, he may win it after that iron. But hell, there's probably people already cast their, their ballots. As ridiculous as that sounds, the Heisman ballots went out here on Monday. And there's probably people right now that are filling out their poll before they even see the conference championship games, which is which would be a travesty, but it happens. They they have there's about nine hundred people that got a vote. So, you know, all those people aren't uh, doing the job to the best of their ability. So but there's gonna be a lot of line for Alabama, I mean, this this is do or die. You've got some pieces here. And, you know, your receiving core has been tearing everybody up. As good as Georgia is in the on defense, I think the secondary, I don't want to say they're a liability because that would be stupid to say, but I think Alabama can find some success with uh, Bryce Young and these receivers going up against Georgia's defense as long as Bryce Young has time to throw the ball. That's the bigger question mark in my mind. So, I mean, he's going to be after getting that thing out immediately I don't think they're going to be able to rely on the ground game and can Brian Bill O'Brien who sounds like he's got his <laughs> one foot out the door already to Blacksburg can he 
dial up uh, the, the game plan of the year here against Kirby Smart and Dan Lanning's defense. That remains to be seen. But that's something they're talking about already, fixing the uh, the off the issues on the offensive line. Georgia's defense, incredible, incredible defense. And on Brian Robinson's injury status heading in to the SEC championship game. You talked post-game some of the issues on the old line. Uh, what are some of the things you feel are correctable uh, up front in pass protection and run blocking? I think we got to play more physical. Uh, I think we got to be more aggressive uh, in terms of, you know, how we come out of our hips, play with power, you know, whatever it is. Um, you know, we got to try to dictate, you know, when we're in the run game and get moving. We did a better job of that in the second half. Um, so, um, and we got to give our players, you know, a good chance with some advantage runs uh, when we do try to run the ball. Um, so, Pass protection was an issue at times, but, um, you know, we, we, we just got to do a better job of, you know, staying square. Uh, quarterback's got to do a good job in the pocket uh, so that, you know, the O-line knows where he's going to be. So uh, there's, a, there's a lot of things that, you know, we need to work on um, when it comes to pressures. Uh, we got to have a good plan for how we block them. And, um you know, there, there's a lot of things that I think we're capable of improving, and uh, I have a lot of confidence that the players will go about it the right way to try to get that done this week. Yeah, what makes this Georgia defense unique in, in 2021 in an in a era of offense, uh, era of college football dominated by offensive football? Well, I think they've been very good on defense for several years. Um, they were very good on defense last year, too. Uh, they got a lot of the guys back uh, that are experienced, you know, in that regard. Uh, they play a good system. They have a good scheme. They're well coached and they have really good players uh, and they play hard. I mean, they play um, with, you know, a lot of toughness. Uh, they're fast reactors. Um, they're very instinctive. Um, so, you know, they got a combination of a good scheme and really good, well coached and a lot of good players who make a lot of plays um, by playing, you know, sort of team defense. You know, they don't. They don't mess up a lot. Uh, they do what they're supposed to do, and um, they're pretty confident in the way they do it. Without knowing Brian Robinson's availability this week, have you ever been in a situation where you're down to one scholarship running back? And what sort of challenges does that create through the week in practice up until game time? Well, uh, to answer your question, the first part is no. Um, the second part is you know, we have to coach the players that we have and we got to get them ready to play the game. Um, there's nothing else we can do about that. Injuries are part of the game. I uh, don't ever like to see any player, you know, not be able to compete, especially when they've had a great year all year long and probably want to play in this game uh, because of that. Um, so, you know, but, we, you know, as a coach, you just have to coach the players and try to get the players ready that uh, you have available to play in the game and, uh, have confidence in them and try to do the things that they can do well to help the team. We'll have a lot more on this game all week long, but uh, next I wanted to kick it down to Gainesville because uh, Billy Napier, while he's not down there just yet, he's still with his Louisiana team, obviously getting ready for the Sun Belt championship game, trying to lead Louisiana to his first win in this conference championship game. They had a uh, Zoom meeting here on Monday, and it was for the Sun Belt Championship. But we got a couple Gator writers calling in here, and uh, you know, I just really thought these were 
some comments that uh, Florida fans would particularly love to hear on his accomplishments, what he's most proud of here in his during his time at Louisiana as it comes to an end. I thought fans would really appreciate the fact that uh, Billy Napier asked about pulling the dual uh, jobs, what he's doing all with that, and why. The key one here is the first one, why he decided to stick it out for his team. Uh, there's not going to be a Florida Gator fan that uh, is going to dislike these comments. Secondly, uh, Brian mentioned yesterday that uh, you know, that you would be uh, uh, obviously coaching on Saturday in the title game, but he did say yesterday uh, he was uncertain about your plans for the bowl game. So why was why was coaching in the championship game as important to you as it obviously is, even in a time of transition? And have you made a decision yet regarding uh, the bowl? No, I, I think. Uh... You know, the bowl game will be to be determined. I mean, I, I really, um, you know, there was no question um, regarding coaching in the conference championship game. I mean, that was non-negotiable. Um, you know, and I, and I think that it's also uh, important for everyone to realize the commitment uh, that we've made to the players here and the staff here uh, to really kind of take a singular focus on trying to do the best job we can do for this team, you know, uh, in our preparation this week. Um, so, you know, there's no, you know, there's never, never a doubt that we were going to coach in the game. Uh, and certainly even now, you know, we tried to get the announcement out of the way yesterday, uh, but we'll have a total focus this week on the conference championship game. And then when we're done here, um, Saturday, we'll move forward and, and, you know, start start working on the challenges that are ahead of us. Obviously, multitasking and compartmentalizing are a gift a lot of you coaches have. How, what's the challenge there this week? Yeah, Edgar, I think it's a great question, man. And I, and I do think it's part of the challenge, right? I think um, – but I, I think what we've done here is we've tried to make a decision that, you know, we're going to uh, focus on the task at hand. You know, I think from a loyalty standpoint, um, anything less than that would be, uh, you know, that's not who we are and not what we're about. So, um, you know, we're in the middle of pre preparing as we speak here. And, you know, we've allocated some time uh, early in the morning and late at night, you know, to work on some of the future challenges that we have. But uh, my schedule won't change this week. And, um, and I think we owe, it to, we owe that to the players. Um, and certainly that's the approach that we'll take. That's a great question. As you get ready to leave Louisiana, what are kind of the one or two things you're most proud of that you've done there? Um, I would say that, uh, you know, there's just so many individual stories on our roster. You know, I think uh, just from a personal standpoint, um, some of these relationships that we built, some the impact that we've been able to make on a lot of young men, you know, um, and, you know, not only the football accomplishments, I'm, I'm talking more about just the personal growth, uh, who they are as people. Um, I would like to think that, um, you know, we've built a culture here. That's a lot. It's about a lot more than just football. Um, so I think that, you know, just the individual people uh, that I've gotten to know, um, the players that we've had an opportunity to work with, 
uh, and the <laughs> tremendous growth that we've seen. You know, I think that there's there's so much gratification in coaching uh, when you're able to be somewhere for you know three, four, five plus years because you're a part of that story uh, from the beginning, you know, to the end to some degree. So a lot of these players that are seniors on our team, some we inherited, some that were in our first signing class uh, and some transferred in here. So I think that's probably what I'm most proud of uh, is I feel like that we've um, taken an approach here and done it the right way and then really invested in the players. So it's the first time we've ever got to use Billy Napier Comments all the show. We'll be getting those for years to come. So, again, if you didn't know, who in the hell is this guy talking? That's Billy Napier, the new Florida coach, getting ready for the Sun Belt Championship, Louisiana versus Appalachian State, I believe. Something for uh, Florida fans to keep an eye on here on Saturday. But, man, he's doing it for the team. He's doing it for the players. They've worked so hard. It would be wrong to rob them of this opportunity. And, uh, you know, I just really love these comments from the new Gator head coach. Hey, one other thing that popped right before we jumped on the line here, five-star receiver Evan Stewart ended his recruitment, committed to them Texas A&M Aggies, and this is a big one, number one receiver in the country, number three overall prospect in the country, had been considering Florida, had been considering Alabama, so another big win for Jimbo and company up there in College Station. The Aggies have the number two and number three player with Walter Nolan and now Evan Stewart committed to playing in College Station. The Aggies currently have the number three recruiting class in the country. And man, when this news came out, on and on, oh, that that's good enough for that'll be good for third place in the West. Another eight and four. Blah, 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 blah. But this is how you fix all that. You bring in, you know, this is one of the key issues AM's been lacking here is just game breaking receivers. They just they don't really have him. I know Demas was a five-star. He's not really lived up to that billing yet. Uh, we've got a ton of talent on that team, but we're we're just missing those game breakers that Alabama, LSU in, in recent years, now Georgia's got a bunch of them. We're missing that in Jimbo's offense. Evan Stewart should be a huge piece of the puzzle. You also got a five-star quarterback committed, and, of course, Walter Nolan, the defense alignment. I mean, these are the critical positions, quarterback, defense line, receiver, that uh, lead to success in college football. So I know A&M fans pissed off eight and four. It's not, it's, it shouldn't be good enough. It's not good enough, but uh, this is how you fix it. You reel in elite recruiting classes and the Aggies aren't done. They have a realistic shot of getting the number one recruiting class in the country. And you do it by landing these five stars. And there's, there's a couple more that Jimbo and company are trying to reel in as we speak here. Hey, and the last thing here, I guess we're going to have to just do this uh, <laughs> to the end of time here. But uh, now that the season, regular season anyway, is over, we got guys jumping into the portal left and right. So I'm just going to try to update you guys as best as I can when I get these. But Alabama had two guys jump into the portal here on Monday. Offensive lineman Pierce Quick and linebacker Jackson Bratton. Oh, that's got to be the best damn linebacker on their roster right there. But uh, they're both in the portal. Florida's had two guys jump in. Defensive lineman Dante Zanders. Offensive lineman Gerald Mincy. Mizzou's had four guys jump into the portal here. Tight end Daniel Parker Jr. Tight end Masayo Swinson. And then defensive backs Ish Burdine and Chris Sharon. All four in the portal. Ole Miss linebacker Momo Sanango. 
He was at SEC Media Days a couple years ago. I mean, his former uh, leader on that defense, he's in the portal. Vandy's had three guys go into the portal. Receiver Cam Johnson, safety Brandon Harris, cornerback Gabe Judy Lolly. And then outside the SEC, two additions to the portal. A lot of SEC fans are going to be wanting to monitor here. Georgia Tech running back Jameer Gibbs, one of the best players in the ACC, over 1,000 total yards, six touchdowns he scored. And TCU running back Zach Evans, I think uh, all SEC fans should know that name from the recruiting wars there. But, and we got two stud running backs in the portal that uh, I know many SEC fans would be happy to land Gibbs or Evans. So, like I said, there's going to be guys jumping in and out of this portal, I think, uh, all offseason long. So, I'm just going to throw those names out when we get them. But, uh, hey, that's all I got on this episode of the show. I know I've been promising, uh, you know, I'm going to break down my players of the year, coaches of the year, stuff like that. But there was just so much news and notes here. We got to find out, you know, contract details for LSU. Who's Oklahoma going to hire? How will that affect the SEC? And, you know, you got to look at it like when Lincoln jumped from the Sooners, now that job creates a domino. Brian Kelly jumps. Now Notre Dame creates a domino. I mean, these are (laughs) – this could affect – you may not have an opening. You may be happy with your coach. But if uh, school A, school B, school C has an opening, your coach may jump to it. Maybe one of your top coordinators may jump to it. There's a, there's a lot of speculation. This is the time for rumors. And, man, things are moving quickly. So we're going to keep this show going on a daily basis until uh, the news stops. So uh, <laughs> I hope you'll you'll stick with us here. I know the, the regular season's over. We're going to try to keep this thing as not just uh, Alabama and Georgia, just because they're the only two playing this week doesn't mean we're going to neglect the other teams. So we'll have tons of stuff coming up. And Shane and I are also going to break down the bowl games, we got 13 SEC teams headed to a bowl. Which opponents do we want to most see for each SEC bowl team? We're going to have that later in the week. So uh, a lot to go around the SEC. We really do appreciate each and every one of you hanging out. And always, if you made it this far, don't forget, give us that five-star written review. We really do appreciate it. But I'm running out of steam here, so I'm going to jump off the line. I appreciate each and every one of you for checking us out. Catch you on the next one.